Welcome to Love Love Tennis, where tennis talk starts. I'm Ruth Dobson Torres, host of the Love Love Tennis podcast. The goal of this episode and all future episodes is to promote the sport of tennis by sharing diverse and interesting opinions and voices about all things happening in the tennis world today. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, we have a special guest on the Love Love Tennis podcast. His name is Jermaine Bird. And before we get started with the interview, I want to tell you a little bit about Jermaine. Jermaine played tennis in college at the North Carolina Central University here in Durham, North Carolina, USA. While there, he played against some of the top-tier talent in the country. Since then, he's competed in several ITA tournaments. He's been the winner of several local doubles and singles tournaments. And now he's currently a part-time USPTA certified tennis coach, coaching kids and adults of all ages. So welcome to the podcast, Jermaine. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Well, we're very excited that you're on our podcast and uh, looking forward to this conversation. To start off, uh, when did you first start playing tennis and when did you realize that you loved the sport? So I'm a little bit of a late bloomer. I started playing tennis uh, when actually when I was 16, uh, going on 17. Um, I was watching Wimbledon one day, uh, one summer, and I thought back to how I played tennis as a kid, you know, group camps and all that good stuff. And I said, you know, I, I kind of want to take it up again. And surprisingly, I started playing tennis, uh, went to some group lessons and some uh, summer camps, and my hand-eye coordination was still there and it, I picked it up very very fast my, all my coaches were quite amazed and so from then on I said well I'll be going to college in a year and a half I want to play on the team so I you know got really dedicated really serious to getting better and it was like a, a rocket just took off from there that's great and so you obviously accomplished your goal you were able to play in college at North Carolina Central University can you tell yes. me a little bit of Tell me, tell us a little bit about that, and you know who were some of the uh, players and teams that you were facing as opponents back then. Yeah, so playing in college was a great experience. Uh, you learn a lot of life lessons from playing in college. So competitive to never give up, to keep fighting. Uh, we played some of the top tier teams in the country, um, such as UNC, NC State, uh, Duke. You know, annual powerhouses in the game of tennis, um, and so. You know, it, it was tough. I mean, tennis is it's not an easy sport by any means. Um, and each year, the talent got tougher and tougher and tougher. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of great life lessons from, from playing in college for sure. That's great. Well, did you did you play singles or doubles or both while you were there? I played a combination of both, primarily singles. I played doubles when needed. Um, but majority of the time, it was it was pretty much singles. And even today, I'm still more of a singles guy than doubles. So, yeah, speaking of today, um, I know that you're a U.S. PTA certified tennis coach, and you're, you're working with both adults and kids. And I wanted to ask, how young and how old are your clients? And what do you think is the secret to getting the most out of a client during a coaching session? 
Yeah, yeah. So like you said, I, I like working with uh, kids and adults of all ages. Um, the youngest client I've ever had uh, was seven uh, years old. Um, the oldest was 62. And for me, what I enjoy most about working with people of all ages is seeing how well they progress, seeing the, you know, seeing a player start from scratch and, and helping them build their game up and, and really seeing the dedication and the time they put in, um, you know, because tennis is a very demanding sport and it, and it requires a lot of dedication, a lot of time and a lot of effort. And so to see a player mentally tough to go through all that to get better and better, it, it says a lot of knowledge about the person but about their dedication to the game and to get better. So I, I enjoy that a whole lot. And so you think that that is the key, that dedication? Is that something that you convey to each person? Or do you see that coming out just independently on their own? Is it just each person is different? Or is that sort of a technique that you use to try to get motivate them and get them to be dedicated to practicing? Well, yeah, I, so I think the key is how do you motivate a player? Because a player can have talent, but may not have the motivation or dedication to play. And I've run into that a few times. And so you really have to get to know the, get to know the player themselves, know their personality, know what turns them off, know what you know gives them motivation to bring out their best in a tournament or a practice session. And so I think really learning that player, learning their triggers in a positive way, um, that's that's the key. Once you have the trust of a player, no matter the age, uh, the, the sky's the limit for them. That's awesome. Well, what about you? Who are the coaches who've inspired you the most? And do you yourself still take lessons from coaches? Are you still being coached? Yeah, so I, I personally haven't had a coaching lesson in a while. I actually reached out to a friend of mine uh, a few weeks ago for coaching lessons um, in, in Raleigh. And uh, so we're trying to coordinate that and get together. He's a really great player. His name is Malik Daniel. He coaches at the Raleigh Record Club in, uh, in Raleigh. So we're trying to kind of link up and, and get things going there. But, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I still love to play. I'm still very competitive. Um, you know, I still move pretty pretty well <laughs> I still have a joy of playing of playing tennis for sure yourself okay well can you recall a tip from a coach that you've never forgotten that let's say changed your game in the sense that it's always helped you when you implement it during a match yeah so when I'm when I'm tight or if I'm losing a match I, my, I think back to my college coach he told me if you're gonna lose lose on your own terms you know <laughs> And so I, I, I tell myself, you know, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging. You know, I'm going to go down with no regrets. And, you know, on our team, we always say play with no regrets. And so I think when you just drop the fear, the restraint of fear, and just play without regrets, great things can happen on the court. Um, and, and, and just maintaining that belief, no matter what the score is, the belief that you can come back from no matter what the, the deficit is. That, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, I love that advice. Um, I know I recently wrote a blog about available online tennis training options. And with everything going digital these days, do you think online coaching through videos and e-courses will ever replace face-to-face in-person training sessions on a court with a coach? Well, I, I think it's twofold. I think on one hand, you know, when you have a player who can rewind and fast forward and really slow-mo, you know, technique, I, I think that can be beneficial. Um, 
on the other hand, we have a coach live who can give you tips through experience and things that they may only share with a select few people. I think that's valuable as well. So where the game is headed in terms of teaching the direction, um, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I do feel that um, it it may may even out. It may be balanced. But I think technology-wise, we are seemingly going in that direction of everything being virtual, for sure. Yes, it does seem like that. I think it's, personally, um, from my perspective, I think it may always, uh, you know, it'll be a a balance. Uh, But definitely waiting and going more towards digital and, and virtual learning, I think. Um, but we'll see. I guess we, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to ask, uh, hopefully this won't be too upsetting of a question, but I understand that your passport was ready and that you were supposed to attend Roland Garo back in May until COVID-19 put a major cramp in your plans. <laughs> right. And um, why Roland Garo? Uh, was this going to be your first time attending a Grand Slam event? And if so, you know, why Paris? So I I do a lot of world traveling, like a lot. And so I've been to, you know, so many countries, and it's just a passion of mine to explore new cultures, really learn languages, and incorporate my love for tennis in, in the process. And so, you know, I've been to the U.S. Open many times. I've been to Wimbledon uh, two years ago. That was amazing. Um I've been to Australia quite a few times, but I did not get a chance to make it over to Melbourne uh, when I went. Uh, so I figured, well, I've been to Paris once, and um, I love to, you know, playing on clay. So I said, you know, what the heck, let's give it a try. Got tickets, and uh, unfortunately, it just didn't work out this year with the COVID and everything. So, Well, I know, yeah. So you played on red clay, or what type of clay have you played on? Well, American green clay. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to ask. Me too. I haven't. I haven't tried. I've, I've seen the red clay courts whenever I was visiting Spain, but I yeah. actually did not get that opportunity. So I wanted to ask you if you had. But I guess now that you're not in Paris, have you had the chance to catch any of the Roland Garros matches online on TV? I have. Yes. And yes, I, I, I was going to ask who you think is looking good so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for the question. I mean, I, yeah, I've gotten a chance to catch a lot of matches. Um, I got to tell you, Simone Halep is looking amazing. You know, um, she's so comfortable on the clay. She moves so well. You know, she's a previous winner over Sloan Stevens years ago in this major. Um, she's my favorite personally. Uh, you know, we'd be crazy not to pick Serena. <laughs> favorite. You know, but the thing is, I think there's a lot of pressure for sure for her to reach number 24 um i don't know she's she's come up short maybe five five or six times now in the process it's a lot of pressure to make history it's a lot of pressure so i'm gonna say simona hallop she's riding on the wave of coming off of a title win uh you know so i i I like simona hallop okay okay what about what the what about the men what do you think about rafa his chances yeah rafa is rafa (laughs) (laughs) The King of Clay, 12 French Open titles, you know, numer- numerous weeks at number one. I mean, we'd be crazy not to say Rafa, you know, uh, but Novak is Novak. I mean, Novak is playing so well. I would love to see them in a final, um, you know, barring injury or any other mishaps. 
I, I, I think these two will be in the final for sure. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be, it's fun watching. And I'm, even though we can't be there in person and, and COVID-19 is, you know, made everything different. It, it's, it's a blessing that we're able to access things online. And, and speaking of that, you know, I wanted to ask you about the changes that have been brought on by COVID-19, you know, this year at Roland Garros and, and at the U.S. Open, U.S. Open, it's very limited. Um, there were no fans allowed. And now at Roland Garros, I think they're limiting to a thousand per day. Um, so that sort of change. And then the fact that the tournament is is in Paris, um, where it's always been, but it's happening now, September, October timeframe, the cooler temperatures. And then I understand they've also changed the balls, the actual brand of balls from Babalat to Wilson at Uh Roland Garros. And that just made me think about challenges and changes and, and how tennis players are sometimes forced and required to be adaptable to changes. So I wanted to ask you, can you share your thoughts on the importance of tennis players, you know, having that ability, the ability to be flexible and adaptable? And can you share some instances where you faced challenging conditions, either like an injury or um, the weather and and, and during a match and, and how you responded? Yeah, so I think players definitely have to have that versatility no matter what the conditions outside is. Uh, we, we look at the, the physics of a tennis ball. You know, you put more pressure on the ball, the ball is a little more bouncy, but you factor in the weather, the conditions make it a little heavier and the ball does not bounce as high. You know, so there's no sun, there's no humidity to make the ball just fly around the court like we would normally see in uh, April or May when the French Open usually, usually takes place. Um, so definitely lower bounce. Uh, you've got to be able to hit through the court, you know. So you look at a player like Rafa, who can definitely put so much RPMs of spin on that ball. I, I, I don't think it would affect him as much, you know. Sure, he may not have the balls, you know, near his shoulder or, or, or hit height every time, but I think he'll still adjust, and I think he'll be just fine. You look at Novak, he can really penetrate the court, push your ball through. Uh, these players, they're so good at making adjustments. Um, on a personal level, but we all go through the elements. I hate planning the wind, <laughs> but you have, you have to adapt. You know, we all do. So yes. I, I think that's some of the, the conditions to contend with. Yes, I, I would agree. And I know sometimes in matches we've called the wind, you know, if it was a doubles match, we'd say it's a fifth player, you know, on the court. Or when you're in a singles match, the wind could feel like a third player, some, just another challenge that you're facing. And I think you would probably agree with me that I love that aspect of tennis, that it does present, you know, sort of unknown, you know, unknown, unknown challenges at times. And it's fun to, to test yourself and see if you can overcome the challenge, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, are you aware of the Roland Garros uh, no tie break in the final set policy? Yeah. So, you know, I... I like it personally. I like seeing players grind it out, really tough it out in the end. You know, when it's, you know, seven all in the fifth, who's going to win those next two games to take the match? Um, I think at that point, yes, it's physical, but it's more mental. You know, it's who has the stamina to really close out a match, to hang in there physically. Because by that point, most likely you've been playing for five hours. 
So, you know, you're already feeling it, but it just comes down to getting that one foot over the finish line uh, further than your opponent. So I'm in favor of it. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I pers- personally, so. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, um, I think I saw uh, just yesterday a match that concluded in the fifth set. Uh, I think it was a guy from France and one from Italy. The Italian won, and the score in the fifth was 18 to 16. So it was a six-plus-hour yes. six match. So um, I think, though, they broke it uh, between two days, over a two-day period. But still, it was six hours and, like, five minutes. So, yeah, I didn't know. I, I'm glad to hear what your thinking is on that. So you are in favor of the, the grind, <laughs> even if it goes to 18-16. Okay. Well, um. Speaking of, of that, match times and how long a match can go, I know sometimes it's the opposite, you know, and, uh, you know, I've seen Serena Williams definitely, you know, have quick matches where um, either she has won or at times when she's been defeated. And in, in the press conference, I've heard Serena Williams say about her opponent in, in the face of defeat, she said she was playing lights out. And I was wondering if you've ever had an epic lights out fast win in a singles match that you recall. Yeah, I mean, look, as players, we always judge our opponents based on, okay, how they're playing the warm-up. Oh, this player, they're warming up amazing. This is going to be a really tough match. You know, he's got great ground strokes, great serve. He's just solid at the net. And you're, you're really mentally prepared for a grinded-out affair. And there's always that conundrum when the match starts. You have players who are match players, and some guys are practice, practice players, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've had many, many instances where I played guys, and it, the match just went easier than I expected. And uh, you kind of get one or two breaks to start the match, and you just kind of go from there, and your confidence just grows. And so... Yeah, I mean, if you're playing well, you're playing your game, the match can definitely be over in under an hour for sure. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had too many of those in a, in my singles play, but it, it, it's fun to, to see them when, they, when that does happen and to hear about them. So I'm glad to hear that you've had some of those or many of those. <laughs> um, let's see. So to, to continue here, um, though COVID-19 has kept you away from Paris this year, um, obviously tennis – is a sport that is accommodating social distancing. Um, it's, it's still happening, even though we can't be there necessarily in Paris to see it. So I was going to ask if you think that one silver lining to COVID-19 is the fact that uh, this is a time when tennis is drawing in a lot of new players. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, um, I really believe that pl- players who would not have come around to the sport before are come around to it now. I mean, I personally have seen some clinics, you know, where I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, where there's a program called Tri Tennis, you know, in, in, in South Raleigh. And I got a chance to actually, you know, visit out there last week and to see so many new players, basic entry level players who have had no experience at all really have like that bright eye, you know, joy for it. Um, it was amazing to see the game growing like that. And people of all ages, all cultures coming out and just having a good time and, and really wanting to stay in shape, stay fit and learn the game of tennis. Another silver lining result from tennis being center stage during this time of COVID-19, I think, 
with more people playing and watching tennis may be a raised level of global consciousness about social issues. I know that several of the younger ATP and WTA players like Naomi Osaka, Coco Goff, and Francis TFO have recently leveraged their social media platforms to raise their voices as activists for social change here in the U.S. Some argue that entertainers and professional athletes should stick to the song or stick to the game and stay silent on these types of issues. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, you know, not only do I feel that we will see more, I think we have seen a lot already. You know, we look at history, right? Historically, uh, there's been a big uh, uh, parallel between sports and politics. Well, you know, I think back to Muhammad Ali, how, you know, with the whole Vietnam situation, how he said, historically, I have no quarrels with Vietnam, so I'm not going based on the draft. And so he was sentenced to jail because of it. And so, you know, he took a political stance where he said, look, I'm not involved in this and I want to be my own uh, separate entity. You know, we look at Jackie Robinson, for example. He was monumental to the civil rights movement. And, and then we look at Billie Jean King. You know, she has been just so instrumental in starting the WTA and fighting for equal prize money along with Venice Williams. So, you know, we, we've had historical references and precedent where uh, athletes have spoken out uh, about social change and social issues. Um, So I I congratulate Naomi Osaka and Francis Tiafo um, for speaking up and speaking out and using their platform to really make people aware that, you know, this this is not a racial issue or, or this is not one issue that is just for one race. This is something for everyone. You know, this is something where we all have to come together really be on the same accord and really speak up for what is right. And so I think that these players are really trying to do the best they can by wearing the mask and using their social media platforms. And so, you know, it's going to take all of us hand in hand to march close to our goal um, and, and not go backwards. So I, I think we'll see more of it. I think, um, you know, the players are doing a great job and personally I would encourage them to do more. So mm-hmm. I actually totally agree. Um, I feel actually very gratified to be connected to the sport of tennis where we've seen such great activism over the years by its star players. And um, I hope that we see everybody, you know, continuing to be aware and working together to make the world a better place and uh, equality for all. So, um, yeah, we're on the same page. Well, listen, this has been a great few minutes of conversation with you I want to conclude and ask you one last question why do you love love the game of tennis and why has tennis continued to be a positive in your life for so many years yeah I I love the game of tennis mostly because it it, the lessons that you learn in playing a match really translates to real life lessons you know um, not giving up fighting for everything you need in life fighting for every point um, so there's so many, you know, comparisons and parallels that we can draw between tennis and real life. And, you know, and for me, ultimately, it comes down to playing to win. And I look at life that way. You live to win and you play to win. So um, that's why I continue to play tennis. Well, thank you for that insight. And I want to wish you well in your game of life and in future matches since you're still playing. And I hope that you win. And thanks again for being our guest today. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for having me.
and that's a wrap. If you liked listening to this episode, don't miss visiting our website, love-lovetennis.com to check out more episodes and more content about all things tennis because Love Love Tennis is where tennis talk starts.